It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and welcome into the virtual bible study we appreciate you joining us on this december 4th 2008 edition of the virtual bible study we look forward to hearing from you on the program my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is with me tonight hello dad jacob great to have you back with us tonight you've been off uh, two out of the last three weeks, so it's good to have you it back. It did seem a little strange coming tonight. Uh, yeah. We've been gone more than we've been here. but You know how good. nervous it makes me to run the control board, so I'm glad to have you back in your chair. Well, it's, uh, everything went well last uh, last Thursday. I was listening down in Florida, and you uh, did it without any glitches at all, so very good. Uh, no, no smoke came out of the console or anything else, so um, we, we survived. And the knobs look like they're still attached. You didn't rip any off, so very good. Okay. Uh, good to be back. And we have a visitor with us tonight. Clay Gentry is here. He preaches for... The Lantern Church in north of Columbia, Tennessee, and he's here with us tonight. Uh, welcome to the program, Clay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. We appreciate you taking us up on the invitation. Well, we have an important subject we want to talk about tonight. We want to talk about the basis for the things that we do religiously. We believe that we need to have Bible authority for all that we do, and we want to talk about that important subject tonight, Dad, because if we don't have authority, what, what it gets down to is we have mass chaos in the religious world, and we look at the religious world today and we that, see the that's pretty, that's pretty much what we've got is mass chaos, and the reason why is because people have not studied and learned the principles of how to establish and apply Bible authority, and therefore we've got all kind of division and confusion in the religious world. One of the things that we really need to stress is that the way out of that, Clay, if, if, if we wanted to get out of all the division that existed in the religious world, the way we would do it, really the only way we would do it is for everyone to go back to the Bible and rightly apply the principles of understanding what it teaches, how we learn from that, what God wants us to do, and how to apply it. <clears throat> Absolutely. You know, one of the things that you were saying before we started the show was the little ad that y'all used to run occasionally, Christian, do you remember when? And uh, do you remember when it was, thus saith the Lord? And that's what we need to be getting back to. Well, everything that we do, Clay, uh, we have to have rules. We we have to have a standard. Without a standard, driving home tonight would be very scary. Uh, If we didn't have rules that we followed driving our cars, everything that we do, we have to have a standard so that everybody's on the same page and we know how how to behave. I think that's exactly right. A lot of times when... Talking about authority, uh, there's an episode in the life of Jesus that's pointed out, and I think it's kind of an interesting one in Matthew chapter 21. And it has to do with a question that the chief priests and elders of uh, of the Jews asked Jesus. Now, we know them to have been very corrupt people who did not have pure hearts or pure motives. But but when they came to Jesus, they they actually asked him, a very worthy question in Matthew 21, beginning verse 23, when Jesus was coming to the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? That's Those are great questions. Now, I, their motives were impure in the asking of it. They were trying to entrap Jesus. But but those are really proper questions. Uh, they they Their question revealed the fact that authority has to come from someone who has the right to give it. Uh, and and so forth, and that there needs to be authority for what we do religiously. So Jesus went on to deal with them and and was able to expose their impure hearts. But just from just from the simple questions they asked, those are those are good questions that we all need to be ready to answer. We must have authority for all that we do. And when it when it gets down to is if we're not going to have authority, then it just is what I like versus what you like. It's my preference versus your preference, and that's all that we're going to have religiously. And we'll never have the unity that Jesus prayed about in John chapter 17 when he wanted his disciples to be one just as he and the Father were one. The only way we can have that unity, Clay, is if we go back to some absolute standard and we say this is how we're going to behave religiously and we're all going to do the same thing. Absolutely. You know, one of the things I like to think about when we – Go back to the book of Proverbs. I know that, that we're, we're looking at the words of Solomon there, but the, I believe they're the inspired words of Solomon where he said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, he said, Get wisdom and understanding 
and do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. And I believe the Lord is saying that to us today. Get wisdom, get understanding from my word because I have the authority by which you should live and conduct your life. Not only in the assemblies, not only in the work of the church, but in every aspect of our lives. Exactly right. If we don't get that authority, if we don't, if we don't seek out God's will to understand what he wants us to do and how, then we end up just trying to do our own thing, trying to figure it out ourselves. And the very familiar verse in Jeremiah 10, verse 23 says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We're at a loss. If, we, if, if it's left up to us, we're in trouble. Thankfully, God's given us a word, given us a standard, and it's easy, easy enough to understand and apply, and that's what we've got to do. You know, I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about cell phones. Everybody's got a cell phone now, but how often do you see someone who has the exact same cell phone that you have? We all have different cell phones, and I think my cell phone's better than yours and yours as well, Clay, because it's what I like. It's my preference. And if we all thought the same way, we all had the same preferences, there'd only be one cell phone, there'd only be one car, everybody would drive the same kind of car, we all have preferences and opinion as to what is the best. And when if, if we get away from a, an absolute standard and having authority for all that we do, then we're just going to, everybody's going to be having their own little church that they think is best, and we've got to get back uh, to what God has said. We want to talk to you on the program tonight. If you want to talk about this important subject, please give us a call, toll-free, 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. Please join in on the discussion tonight. But it is a very important uh, subject, this idea of religious authority. We must have authority for all that we do. We're instructed to have authority for all that we do. Exactly right. Um, as we often do, in fact, as we do every week, we sent out some questions earlier today to our update list. And uh, I, w- I want to read those and uh, one of our, at least one of our respondents said, "You'll never get through all of that tonight." And we might not. We might, we might carry this over to another week or so. But uh, let me read these questions that we put out there earlier today. Several have responded already. If you have not, we'd love to hear from you. <clears throat> Question one: What are some of the common errors that people make concerning the proper source of authority in religious matters? Number two: Is the command example inference method of determining Bible authority correct? Why or why not? Number three, how would you answer someone who says that in order for a thing to be wrong, it must be specifically condemned in Scripture? For instance, the statement, the New Testament doesn't say, thou shalt not play instrumental music in worship, therefore it's okay to use instrument. Number four, how would you answer someone who says that in order for a thing to be right, it must be specifically condoned in the Scripture? And number five, what is an expediency? We're going to be looking to those questions, but let's start out with that first one. Uh, We do have a phone call that we want to take, I believe. No phone call. All right. Well, the first question was, what are some of the common errors that people make concerning the proper source of authority in religious matters? You actually implied one already, Jacob, and that is just do what you like. And that's maybe the most common error that comes up uh, in matters of religion. Yeah, there's two problems with that, though, Clay, doing what we like. Number one is we'll never have unity doing what we like because I'll like something different than you like. And number two is if we do what we like, we know the end of that is we'll end up in the ditch, we'll be, end up uh, in the wrong place because we can't direct our own steps. Well, the proverb, writer, the proverb writer said it this way in Proverbs chapter 14, 12. What is he saying? There's a way which seems right to a man, that's right. but its way is into death. That's and right. we need to recognize that that's not just with speeding and driving a car. That's with living our life spiritually as well. All right. We got an email from our friend Mike up in Orleans, Indiana. And I tell you, he's written us nearly a manuscript here on on these questions. What we probably should do is just take his thing and put it into a tract because he's written that much. I don't know if we'll be able to cover everything that Mike's written. Thank you for your good comments, Mike. Yeah, Mike, we appreciate your effort and your hard work in doing this. But uh, let me just list quickly some of the things he said are errors that people make when they uh, approach this question of what they will do religiously. He says, number one, indoctrination. Some have been taught a doctrine and believed it for so long that they are unwilling to accept the idea they could be wrong. Number two, high-mindedness, unwillingness to admit one could be wrong. Me and my friends and those who taught me, uh, the scholars at the college I attended and so forth. And he says that's just basic pride. Number three, love of tradition. We've always done it this way. Number four, love of men. My preacher says this. Or maybe to quote man-made writings and creeds and make them equal with the word of God. Num- uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Number five, use of poor, unreliable, or suspect reference materials. Number six, placing the cart before the horse, using the Bible to prove a doctrine rather than believing the doctrine the Bible teaches. Take an objective approach. 
And I, th- I think there what he's saying, Clay, is, you know, some people use the Bible to try to prove what they already believe instead of going to the Bible to find out what it says. Yeah, absolutely. That, yeah. Um, lack of thorough knowledge and fear of the Lord, worldliness, uh, pressure from the ungodly, the, uh, the idea, an attitude, he calls it a Gnostic attitude that we can interpret the Bible accurately in ways that no one else is able to, to do. Uh, and then he says, uh, doctrine built upon speculation assumption, reliance upon men and modern revelations, failure to discern between the covenants, ungodly evil motives. A whole lot of things there. I think he touched on a lot of things that probably most of us might think about uh, when we think of the wrong ways to approach Bible authority. Uh, I especially like it when he mentioned the love of men, what my preacher says or, or what, what others that I respect have said, and I just accept it as being so. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that he says there, not just preachers, but uh, we can expand that even into a larger group to include parents. This is how my mom and dad, this is how they believed all their life. And are you saying they're wrong? And and you did that when you were younger, Clay. Oh, absolutely. You started out just doing what your parents said to do. But there comes a point where you have to learn and study what the scriptures say and make sure that it is valid. All right. And the Lord, the Lord taught us to, to, when he said hate, I think he's saying that my love for, your love for me should far exceed that of your parents, of your wife, of your children, and you should choose me over them. And so there comes a point where we're just going to have to stand up and say, I'll stand with the Lord, even though my mom and dad don't stand that way. Jesus Jesus predicted that believing in him and following his doctrine would be a kind of thing that might even divide families. He said in Matthew 10, verse 34, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be those of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so I, I want to I think that I can believe what my father and mother believed. But if it comes down to it, I've got to be more loyal to the Lord than to them. Absolutely. Let me, let me add one other thing there uh, in regards to preachers. Um, I think there's another aspect of that as well, preachers and Bible class teachers, that as uh, those who, who sit in the pew, those who sit at our feet and, and listen to what we have to say week in and week out, if they're not doing their own Bible study, if they're not exploring the scriptures at home but just waiting to be fed when they get to church, well, of course, they're just going to listen and believe whatever they're told because they don't have the courage to search it out you gotta, themselves. you got to search it out for yourself. Absolutely. And I like what he said about the traditions. Uh, if we do something long enough, there but there gets to be a weight associated with that, that it must be right. It must be okay if we've done it this way ever since we can remember. And uh, we've got to be careful. The Jews in Christ's day had been guilty of accepting things because they were traditional. And uh, traditional doesn't make it wrong, but traditional also doesn't make it right. And we've got to make sure that we go back to the scriptures for authority for all that we do. And I would I would emphasize another one of his points, the use of poor, unreliable, or suspect reference materials. And I would expand that to include even potentially faulty biblical translations. Clay, we were talking earlier that, that there are some English translations of the Bible that even some, some uh, really dedicated Christians are using without investigating to see whether that's an accurate translation or not. Some of the translations are not accurate. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, we, that there's one exclusive translation that, right, that is right and all others are wrong, but you need to, to, to do a little investigation there and make sure you're using an English translation of the Bible that's reliable to the original text. And if you don't, you could certainly be led astray, and there's some Bible translations out there that, are, that would lead people astray if they're taking those as their exclusive study Bible. Quickly, before we go to our break, let's take an email from Jason in Pennsylvania. Jason gives us a top ten list of uh, erroneous uh, authority sources that people use. He says that uh, one of them is a basis upon of their personal likes and dislikes, upon the basis of erroneous conclusions that I may reach, upon the basis of my opinions or the opinions of others. That's number three. Number four, upon the basis of what is popular. And that certainly uh, is one that people go by. Number five, upon the basis of what may be the consensus of some group. And uh, that is a, a problem with a lot of people religiously. They look at uh, their the conferences or their synods, or we just look at our peers and say everybody seems to think this is okay, so it must be. Number six, upon the basis of what some well-known and highly respected brother teaches or may have taught. Number seven, upon the basis of human traditions. Number eight, upon the basis of my ability to, quote, or, unquote, see any harm in it. It, seemed, it. it doesn't do any harm, so it must be okay. 
And number nine, upon the basis of long-standing practices. And number ten, upon the basis of the silence of the scriptures. The scriptures don't say not to, so it yeah, must. We're going be to okay. talk more about that in a minute. But one of the thing, one of the ones he mentions there that I would comment about is this idea of uh, the consensus of some group. And we've talked about this before, but a lot of people would rush to Acts chapter fifteen and say that's what. Paul and the others did to try to decide the question of circumcision for the Gentiles, which was a big problem in the first century church. And so they had a meeting, they talked it over, and then they came to an agreement, sort of, although it it doesn't say they raised their hands and took a vote, that's probably what they did. And they just, they they came to an agreement and a decision by majority uh, opinion as to how they should approach that problem. That is not at all what happened there. And, and, And anybody who thinks that needs to carefully reread Acts 15 and then take in parallel with that Galatians chapter 2 where Paul mentions that meeting and having gone there and and Galatians 2 makes it clear that Paul didn't go up there to get an opinion he knew before he went what the answer was they weren't going up there to to decide that issue they were going up there to stop the troublemakers who were coming out of the Jerusalem church and spreading false doctrine but it wasn't a decision making meeting and it wasn't the it wasn't the the first church conference to decide an issue. That's simply one the case. The, the truth on that was known before Paul ever went up there. All right. We're going to take a break, and we'd like to hear from you during the break. Give us a call toll-free at 877-381-4567 or send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Hi. My name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of You Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic. Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to Him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we are back to the virtual Bible study, and thank you again for joining us, and we'll thank you in advance for participating. This is a listener interactive program, and we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, You can comment on our subject at hand tonight. We're talking about authority and the need for it religiously. We see chaos in the religious world today. There are all kinds of uh, factions and different groups doing different things, claiming to serve the same God, but they're serving him in a variety of different manners. And literally, any way you can think up, any way that seems right to them, there are people that are doing that. And that's what we're talking about here in the first part of our study, is what are some of the mistakes that people are making when they come to this question of, how do you go to the Bible, find out what God wants us to do, and do it? And that's basically what we call Bible authority. And... um there's obviously a lot of error in regard to that, and we're talking about that right now. Got an email from uh, Steve up in uh, uh, Pittsburgh, and uh, we haven't heard from you for a while, Steve. Glad to have I you. I think he just thawed out recently. They've been pretty cold up there. Might have been, that might be the case. Yeah. Um, but uh, his answer to the to our first question: What are some common errors that people make concerning a proper source of reli- authority in religious matters? He says, apart from direct statement, approved example, necessary inference, I've heard, inference, I've heard of a fourth way that some establish authority. Uh, he says, I'll credit this to Alan Williamson as they were his ideas, not mine. It's called the ox in the ditch. And he references Luke 14, 5. Uh, Jesus had not yet died, and therefore they were still under the old law. Because he was God, he could break the Sabbath. However, people today think that they can break God's law so long as it is not hurting anybody. Can we use musical instruments? Well, they will say that it's not hurting anybody, and this is wrong. <clears throat> so his, his 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 suggestion as to a mistake people make is 
that it's okay basically to to uh, twist the rules uh, under special circumstances, and especially if it doesn't hurt anybody. I'm, I'm not sure I would agree with his statement that Jesus was God and could break the Sabbath. I don't think Jesus broke the Sabbath. I think Jesus properly interpreted the Sabbath law and what was intended by it. I think he kept it perfectly as he kept all the law perfectly. Um, but uh, Stephen's suggestion is that a big mistake people make is that they think they can change it. Uh, if, if circumstances uh, call for it, they can change it. That, that of course, is a big mistake. All right. I appreciate that email coming from Pennsylvania. One comes a little closer to home here from Anthony in Columbia, Tennessee. He says, um, many people see the Bible as erroneous and outdated. Therefore, they rely on unscriptural sources of authority, such as popes, councils, synods, etc. Actually, I'd say the most common error is that people see themselves as the source of religious authority. And I think Anthony makes a very good observation there. Exactly right. And that's that's sort of what we've been saying. Uh, several have, have said it in different ways. But, hey, we've got to go to God, and we've got to be willing to submit to his authority and what he requires and basically put our preferences aside. I mean, I've often told people on the question of instrumental music, if it was left up to me, if if I did what I preferred, I think, I think I'd have instrumental music, maybe a whole band. I mean, I'm not going to stop just with the organ. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is it's, it's not a question of what I like. It's a question of what God told us to do. Well, the Lord said in uh, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And this is the ultimate test of, of love and faith in his word is that we'll love him and follow the things that he and the spirit have taught us throughout the New Testament. And, you know, the danger of it, uh, Clay, is that if we don't follow his word precisely, if we, we say we don't have authority for this, but it seems OK for me to do this. If we just say it in one area, you might as say it might as well say it in every area. Absolutely. You've thrown open the door and everything can go through it at that point. And you won't be able to get it shut again. We have to go back and say everything we're going to do has has to have authority or else nothing we do will have authority because we will eventually adopt that thinking for everything. And we look at the religious world today and we see how that that apostasy has happened gradually over time. People have have begun to erode their requirements for Bible authority. And now anything goes. And, you know, really, that bring that that reminds me of the verse that I can't believe we've gotten this far into our discussion without (laughs) referencing Colossians 317. Mm -hmm. Where Paul said, whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Everything that we do has to be done by the authority uh, of our Lord. And and he's not saying there that we use a phrase, I do this in the name of the Lord. I brush my teeth in the name of the Lord. I comb my hair in the name of the Lord. He's saying that everything we do should be based upon the authority of the Lord. Everything. And there's not an exception. And And as you said, Jacob... If we allow the first, if we allow you to do one thing, bring into our religious service one thing for which there is not Bible authority, then if we allowed you to do that, we can't keep Clay from having. And you know, he's got something he likes too. And he, he we, if, if we allowed you, you got, we got to allow Clay, and then you got to allow me. And pretty soon, we're just completely, completely off track. All right, we have a call, and we have a call from someone I think who. Um you might have played golf with a few times. Don in Clarksville, Tennessee, is on the phone. Don, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks, Jacob. Hey, Don, how you doing? I'm doing well, Greg. How are you doing this evening? Good. Good to hear from you. Good. I was just wanting to uh, consider the topic of fasting. Uh, it's referenced several times in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Acts 14 and 23, and 1 Corinthians 7, 5, and it seems like a topic that is uh, that we have biblical authority for, but yet is not a... Uh, not a popular one that, that gets practiced today, and I just wanted to see if you could, uh, on the topic of authority, maybe determine why we're not practicing fasting, or if we are, but it just doesn't appear to be practiced, and, and it's kind of done behind the scenes, and we're not seeing it, or, or or just get some insight on that topic. Yeah, I think it's a good question. Appreciate it, Don. Hey, Don, uh, I, we, will, uh, we can talk about it a little bit. I would reference you to our archive page on our website. We discussed it in... Uh, 2006, November 30th of 2006, under the topic, Should Christians Fast? You can find it on our website there. Yeah, we did a whole hour on that, so that would be a good resource, Don. All right, thanks. Thanks. That was November 30th, 2006? That is correct. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Don. Good hearing from you. Yep. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling, Don. All right. Good to hear from Don tonight. Appreciate uh, appreciate that question. A quick answer on the fasting question is, 
I don't believe that we can find authority to bind that practice in the New Testament. In other words, it, it's mentioned, clearly mentioned, and there's reference to to early disciples fasting, but there's no place where we find it to be a practice that was bound on all Christians in any regular manner. It, it, it's, it seems clear to me that it was a thing left to each person to decide for themselves as to the appropriateness of it, the timing of it, and so forth. Uh, I, I don't think that we can find authority to say, Clay, every Friday we expect you to fast from 9 a.m. till 6 p.m. You know, Don made a great point. He said, is it happening but happening behind the scenes? But that's exactly what the Lord taught. Pro, pro, yeah. If you just look at verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. Don, I hope it's going on. I think it's a great thing. I encourage Christians, as you've said, that if you feel that urge and that need to do that, they should do that. But they should do it in a clear biblical sense in the authority that we have and not appear to be doing it. I think we find that in the denominational world. Somebody at work, they come in, they got that sour look on their face, and you say, what's wrong? Oh, I'm fasting today. Yeah. Hey, they're they're violating the scriptures already. It's, it's not mandated. And, right. Uh, uh, it's not like the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, we're, we we have the authority and and we have the pattern to observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Fasting's not like that uh, now. But I think there are some statements that imply that Jesus thought his disciples likely would fast. The, even there in Matthew chapter six, notice he he said, "Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites." He didn't say. If you fast, right. he said, when you fast. And, and the implication is that he, he believed that his disciples would be those who fasted. And, and we did find them fasting. You, yeah. All throughout the book of Acts, you always find the fasting and the prayer connected together and the disciples. And he alludes to the fact that they would fast. In uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus said to them, Can the Christian of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken uh, from them, and then they shall fast. Alluding to the fact that uh, there would come a time when Christians would fast. No, and so in, in, in reference to our study of authority... Is there authority for Christians to fast? I would say yes, uh, but it's not mandated as to when and how much and how long and that sort of thing. We don't have that information, so we, it's it's not something that you enforce in that manner. We do appreciate Don for listening and for that good question tonight, Don. We appreciate it. We're talking about Bible authority tonight, and we need to have Bible authority for all that we do. Clearly, looking at the religious world today and the, the situation in the religious world today shows us the need for Bible authority. If we don't have Bible authority, then anything and everything goes, and we can't say anything about it. You just have to accept that people are going to do whatever they want to do. If you say that we don't have to have uh, Bible authority for what we do, we want to hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Uh, we have an email from Jim in Mount Pleasant who was on the program with us last week, Jacob. And he We've says, replaced him with a younger model today. That's right. He says, here are some thoughts from your former co-host. Okay. He sounds a little bitter about that. <laughs> you think we, he feels like he's been shuffled out? I don't know. He, he and Clay might have to have words. I don't no, know. No. Anyway, here's his answer to number one. Common errors. He says, people look to men to get their answers. A religious president or apostle. Uh Instead of looking to our Lord and King and reverencing his word, men give other men high-sounding titles, and with those titles, people are persuaded to listen to their counsel, but they ignore the highest title, which is God. And so we should be doing God's will, not men's will, and basing our religious practice not on what men say, but what God says. And that goes for us all. You know, we may not have our pope. We may not have a church president or an apostle like maybe the Mormons do. But I have known of people, and we've already mentioned this, who put so much confidence in their favorite preacher or maybe some college professor that they studied under, and and, and they simply won't question what they were taught by those people. That, that, that is authoritative to them, and that's a mistake. Uh, even if you were to question them, questioning them, yeah. say, just, just take a look at for yourself. Oh, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. Especially if that person has several letters behind his name, yeah. several degrees, then he he has he has more weight, and we we couldn't question that. He he certainly knows what he's talking about. Okay. All right, let's take a break, and we get back on the other side of the break. We need to talk about how do we establish the authority. We've shown that it is important to have authority. How do we establish the authority? We believe the scriptures give us instruction on how to establish authority. We're not going to make up the rules. We talk about establishing authority and how it needs to be done. We're going to go to the scriptures and see what the scriptures tell us about how to establish the authority that God requires us to have. We'll look forward to hearing from you on the other side of the break, 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. 
Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. There's always room for improvement in the work we do. This is true in our individual efforts, and it's true regarding the work we do as a congregation. Whenever someone says, you could have done more or you could have done better, our proper response is, you're right. It would be helpful for every Christian to spend time pondering these questions. What have I done to serve God and help my fellow man? How could I have done better? Where can I make improvements? For example, what have I done to encourage my brethren? There are some who are spiritually weak and some who are almost ready to fall away completely. What have I done to help them? A call or a letter from me might be just the thing they need right now. Have I even taken the time to know who these folks are? Do I even know their names? Do I know anything about the struggles they are facing? And for that matter, what about the strong members of the church, the elders, the deacons, others? What have I done to build them up? There are some new members in the church. Have I met them? Have I done anything to make them feel welcome? It's time to stop waiting for others to do all of this important work. What have I done? Surely I can improve in these things. And also we should think about the lost souls all around us, on my street, in the nearby community, throughout this entire area. There are folks I work with, members of my own family, and dear personal friends who have not been saved by learning and obeying the Lord's truth. What have I done to try to get this message to them? There's no use waiting for others. This is my job. I see them often. Some of them I see every day. They'll suffer eternally if I don't do something. What have I done? I can do better. I must do better. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile in South America. And I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program too. Gracias. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. And we are back, and we look forward to hearing from you. Give us a call or send us an email. So we talk about the need for Bible authority. Now we want to talk about how we establish that authority. And, uh, Dad, we use a term to uh, reference that, uh, that method of establishing Bible authority. We say that it is by uh, command by example or by necessary inference. And yeah. we, we believe the Bible teaches us that, uh, that that is the correct way to establish it, It's sort of a formula that often gets repeated. Uh, and so we know if someone wanted to describe it in, in a different way, uh, using different words, I, I wouldn't argue that you have to use those exact words to describe it because that's just a, a, a familiar way of expressing it. But we believe that there there are three ways that the New Testament tells us what God wants us to do and what we ought to be doing. Uh, and they are by direct command or a statement, by approved examples. Now, there's examples in the New Testament of people doing sinful things. Those are not approved. That's why we add approved example. You, you can't, for instance, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 were Christians. They lied. There's an example of what Christians did, but it's clearly not an approved example. They were struck dead for doing that, so it's not approved. It's an example, but it's not approved. Well, example. we have the same uh, apostles. We have their example. We should follow it, but there are apostles who did bad things. Peter, Judas, Peter, Peter, Peter did as well yeah. with the Gentiles, so we have to be careful. And so uh, we, we add approved examples, direct commander statement, approved example, necessary inference, and we'll talk some about the idea of necessary inference. That's a conclusion that is drawn from a necessary conclusion that's drawn from other facts and evidence. It's also been described as an unavoidable conclusion. You have the facts presented in the scriptures, and therefore you must infer or imply uh, certain things based upon uh, the uh, inference that you draw from the statements that are given. We want to hear from you about those uh, methods. Do you agree? Do you believe that those are the correct ways to establish Bible authority? We have asked that question to our email list, and we'll ask it of you at this point as well. Do you believe that the command, example, and necessary inference method of determining Bible authority are correct? Let us know your thoughts. We could start with uh, uh, Jim in Mount Pleasant. We were just reading his email. Let's see what he says. He says, when I, I asked the question, is that method of determining Bible authority correct? And he said, yes. Command, example, and necessary inference are scriptural. We all understand the concept of command. God tells us what to do. He states it plainly. An example, and I agree with him. I think command is the is the easiest one when when it says, you know. Uh, well, it's not easy to some people though. 
But I mean, well, I mean, it is. It's it's obvious. It's the it's the most obvious one. But a lot of people say, well, he said that, but he didn't really mean that we need to do it. Well, yeah, that goes to the point that I think uh, Stephen was making earlier. Some people think they can change it when when it uh, suits their purposes. But when when God says it, we need to do it. A direct command needs well, to be a, to well, be observed. You know, for instance, a statement like this from Romans thirteen verse nine: Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And so forth. And, he, and Paul goes on to say, and if there be any other command, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says those are commands. If there be other commands, they could be summarized this way. He said, so when we read direct commands like that, I think we understand it. That's what Jim says. He goes on to say, we all understand that concept of command. Uh, but example, he says, an example is simply how it was done. Jesus took bread and gave it to his disciples. Then also the cup, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. Uh, he, the Lord showed the order. He provides an example of how to observe the memorial feast. Um, they, they are, you know, sometimes the Lord's Supper is used as a great example of how all three methods of determining Bible authority are found there. There's the direct command of what to do and the, and the example of, of how to do it, including uh, what day of the week we observe the Lord's Supper on, for instance, Acts 20, verse 7, references first century Christians who came together to observe the Lord's Supper. It was on the first day of the week. It says so there in Acts 20, verse 7. We know it was an approved example because Paul was in their company when they did it. So we have, we, we, Jesus told us what to do, to eat the bread to remember his body, to drink the cup to remember his blood. The example of those first century Christians meeting on a Sunday on the first day of the week in the presence of an inspired apostle to observe the Lord's Supper provides an example, an approved example of what to do. And then by inference, Jim goes on and says, necessary inference is studying the scriptures to recognize when something is done, such as the first day of the week. We, we know as the Sabbath was coming every seventh day, the first day of the week also comes every seven days and thus is to be served in like, like manner. This is, this goes to that passage in Acts 20 verse 7. We use we use a necessary conclusion. We draw a necessary conclusion. It says in Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, and so on it goes. Since it doesn't specify it was the first Sunday of the month or the first Sunday after the new moon or any you know anything like that, it just says it was the first day of the week. The inference is that this was a regular weekly observance of the Christians. We just use good sense and logical reasoning to come to that conclusion it's it's a a necessary inference it's an inescapable conclusion if it was a special sunday different from all others it would have said so but since it only indicates that it was a sunday the necessary conclusion is that this was a practice of the first century christians every sunday and and you know what we need to recognize is um, command example necessary inference it's not something that that a and I say it this way, Church of Christ preacher came up with or or some restorationist long ago came up with. This is what the Lord did himself. Uh, the Lord only followed the commands. Or the Lord only followed the commands that the Father gave him. John chapter 12, verse 49. Uh, so he followed command. Uh, he only did the things which he saw the Father do. That was his example. We, we find that in John chapter 5, verse 19. And then in a similar passage, which was referenced earlier, Luke chapter 14 and 5 was referenced earlier, Matthew chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, uh, we find necessary inference there. The Lord healed somebody on the Sabbath, and he made that inference that it was okay to do good on the Sabbath because you would rescue uh, your lamb or your oxen, which was referred to earlier. You would rescue them. How much more worthy is a man to have good done unto him on the Sabbath day? And so the Lord did this. This is the Lord's example that he's left for us, and we need to follow. Now, we don't have the command, example, inference spelled out in those those many words, but we have the principles that are defined. And uh, Anthony in Columbia uh, sends in this comment. He says, this is a very interesting question, the question of whether or not command, example, and authority, or command, example, and inference are good ways to establish authority. He says, after reading this question, I realize that this three-pronged approach is not mentioned in the Bible. This is not necessarily a bad thing, but we need to be clear that this approach comes simply from sound reasoning and logic, unless I am wrong about it being outlined somewhere in the scriptures. But I do think it is the correct method of establishing authority from the Bible or any other written document for that matter. So uh, Anthony's correct in saying the, the wording there is not 
but the principle is outlined, as you mentioned, uh, uh, Clay, in your examples and other examples that we could point to. The methodology is is pre- presented to us in the scriptures. A real good place to see that. We don't have time to go into all the detail, but in Acts 15, I mentioned earlier when Paul and Barnabas and others went up to Jerusalem because there was this big controversy about uh, circumcising the Gentile converts to Christ. Um, they they met and discussed this. As I said, it was not a decision-making meeting. The, the truth on that was already known when they went up there. But in order to emphasize the answer to this issue, if you look at, at the, the presentations that were given, uh, the first to speak uh, was um, in Acts chapter 15, verse 7, Peter rose up and said, and so Peter gives, gives a, a, an address, then Paul and Barnabas give instruction, and then James does as well. And I think if you'll study that, and it's been pointed out, there's a, some famous sermons that have been preached on that text. You see all three methods of determining Bible authority between Peter, Paul and Barnabas, and James. They use this methodology very specifically there in Acts 15. It's a, it's a good study, but I do think we see it outlined, again, not in those specific terms. And that's why I said earlier, we're not demanding that... This is not some kind of creed. You've got to yeah. use this terminology or anything like That's, that. And maybe that gets to some of Anthony's point yeah. there. But but that the, the methodology is is I think clear in Acts chapter fifteen and elsewhere. But uh, that that'd be a good place to go to show that that even the inspired apostles reasoned that way. Well, James does one of the things that we really need to be doing in the context of this particular study is he goes back to the scriptures. He goes back to the book of Amos. He just delved into the scriptures of old to find out the answer to his question for today's lesson. Exactly right. All right. Yeah, Jacob, let me jump to an email from Jonathan in Cookville who says, uh, concerning command example inference method of determining Bible authority, he says, I believe that it is a correct way to determine Bible authority. I don't think that anyone would argue against the fact that a direct command and or Bible example is authority enough. Direct or indirect inference is also sufficient authority. This is where we find the authority for having a building to assemble in. God commands Christians to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, Hebrews 10.25. It is also inferred from this that the church can supply somewhere to assemble. I may be wrong, but I find no other authority than that for the construction of a church building. Great caution, however, should come with the use with using inference as an authority. It, it must be made sure that no other commands in the Bible are broken from the inference. I think that's a good point, and I agree with him. Yeah, you know, sometimes... People say, well, we do. I, I've actually heard people say, we do lots of things that we don't have authority for. And they'll say, for instance, the church building. We, we don't have any authority for a church building. Uh, Jake, I think you and I attended a debate once where that argumentation was being made. I think that's really faulty argumentation. First of all, if we don't have authority for the church building, then let's get rid of them. You know, this person right there is saying, we're sinning. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're sinning, but it's okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. That's exactly yeah. what they're saying. So the answer to that would be, if, it, in fact, we have no authority for the church building, then let's get rid of it. But I think we do have authority for it, and I think that Jonathan has, has hit upon it. The command, and I think this is one of the really good examples of necessary inference. The command to assemble necessarily implies that there must be a place to do it. And that would be, you know, that, that might be any number of different kinds of places. But if you're going to assemble, there must be a designated place for such assembling. And to provide for that is implied within the command to assemble. And I think that's one of the great examples of necessary inference. All right. We have an email from Stephen in Pennsylvania who may disagree with our conclusions. He says, is it a correct uh, to use command, example, and inference to determine Bible authority? He says, yes and no. We have to determine what is binding and what is not. Necessary inference also has to be established by commandment or example in order for it to hold any weight. Oftentimes, if Christians are trying to determine something that is authoritative and they cannot put it under command or example, then by process of elimination, we'll put it into the inference category, and that is wrong also. I don't uh, know that I would agree with that. Well, I think what he's saying there, Steve, if I'm misinterpreting this, you you send another email or, or give us a phone call. But I think what he's saying is, like we were just saying about the authority for church building, we, we infer that from the command to assemble. So there's, a, there's an underlying command there. The command is to assemble. What we, uh, the implication of that command is that there must be a place to assemble or some, some designated spot for assembling. And so we infer the authority for a, for a church building, for instance, from the command. But, but the inference 
comes on the basis that the command exists. The same thing about observing the Lord's Supper. The, we, we infer that that's an every week observance based upon the example of those Christians in Acts chapter 20, verse 7 in Troy. So I think Stephen's point is you, you just can't go out here and grab something out of the air. There's got to be something from which you make this inference. You just can't want to do something and then just say, well, we're just going to right, infer right. that it's okay. And, okay. And, and so, right. so, so what I think what he's saying is you can't, you, you can't say, well, I want to do this, and I don't find it in the Bible, but I'm just going to say I think God implied that he wanted us to do it. No, you've got to have something in the Scripture that makes that that implication, and and then we infer from that what God would have us to do. So I, I think it's a fair point. All right. Quickly, we need to take a break, but we'll go to Michael's email. Michael says, uh, the, yes, it is appropriate to use this kind of uh, th- uh, method for determining authority. He says, because Jesus followed this same line of reasoning, as you said, Clay. Smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he uses a couple different verses. Uh, he says the direct command or statement of God. He references Matthew 15, verse 4, for God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that curses father and mother, let him die the death. So Jesus was referencing direct commands from the father there. He says Jesus used a proved example in Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. But he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how, how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if you had known that what this means, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He also said that Paul said to walk according to his example that he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Uh, Philemon uh, chapter... Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And then he, then he says also, he, he uses the expression inescapable conclusion, which I think is a good synonymous term inescapable, for unavoidable, necessary. necessary inference. And he references Luke 20, 30 through 34. We won't have to take time to read all of that, but uh, he, he uses that as an example of, of a passage where Jesus used necessary inference. So he's got Jesus... Uh, and he provides scriptures there for Jesus using the, the the three different methods that we have suggested. And he gets into the silence of the scriptures, and we we're may want to talk, save that talk for about a that. little yeah. bit later. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. All right, we need to take our last break. When we get back, we'll take an email from Jason in Pennsylvania. We'll hopefully take an email from you, at, uh, questions at collegeu.com, or give us a call at 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. We'll take it to the top of the hour right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study. The truths are out of this world, but they're only out of this world because of the one who gave us the truths. And we believe that his truths have all authority for us in our lives, and we believe that we are pleasing to him by going back to his word and finding authority for all that we do and and practicing his instructions in our lives. And that's what the Virtual Bible Study is all about. We look forward to hearing from you in the minutes that remain on the program tonight as we talk about authority and our need for it religiously. Uh, and we got that one more email, Jacob, you, that Jason sent in, All and, right. he, and he says that he does agree. He agrees that this is the right way to determine Bible authority. 
commands. He says, if we want to be able to call Jesus our Lord and Master, we need to do what he commands, Luke 6, 46. He says that's the simplest of the three ways of establishing Bible authority. Approved example in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus tells us to follow him. Should we follow the example that Jesus gave us? Of course. Romans 8, uh, 29 says that God's purpose for Christians is to be conformed to the image of his son. So we need to do all we can to follow Jesus' example. Philippians 4, 9, he references, and I think that's a great passage, uh, and I think we want to read that uh, in regards to example. In Philippians 4, 9, Paul said, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul said, Do as you saw me do. And so he actually, Clay, what we got there is a command to follow approved examples. No, absolutely. You know, we were talking about uh, Brother Bill Hall, just a great friend of ours. He's got a great sermon entitled The Apostles Are Still Our Apostles. Yeah. And what he's teaching us in that particular lesson is that they've laid an example for us. And even though we're separated by 2,000 years in a different culture, they are still our example that we need to follow in all the things that we do. Exactly right. And then Jason, uh, Jason just sums up with necessary inference. He says, Peter in the conversion of Cornelius in Acts 10 came to the unavoidable conclusion that Gentiles were to be taught the gospel and given a chance to be saved because the Lord gave him the ability to speak in tongues as he gave to the apostles. And that and that's the argument. We were talking earlier about the, the meeting in Acts 15, the meeting they had in Jerusalem. James just to sort of summarize that, James appealed to the scriptures, in other words, to the commands of God. Peter uh, says, well, you know, we have the example of them being baptized with the Holy Spirit as we were. And then Paul and Barnabas said, well, you know, we could conclude from the fact that we have been empowered to work miracles in the presence of these Gentiles, that, that this is what God wants too. So they basically used all three methods there. And I think Acts 15 is a neat study. All right, we appreciate all of those emails. We look forward to hearing from you. We have time to take your email or your call, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Clearly, the subject of religious authority is important. As we've said throughout the program, if we don't have some basis for what we do, then anything and everything will go, and anything and everything is going religiously because people have forgotten their need for Bible authority. Exactly right. Uh, I think it's also pretty clear, Jacob, that we're not going to be able to cover all the questions that we put out there this week. We may have to continue this discussion for another session. Uh, but but another of the questions that we put out there was, and and this has already sort of been hinted at. We've talked a couple times about the idea of the silence of the scriptures. But we asked the question, how would you answer someone who says that in order for a thing to be wrong, it must be specifically condemned in the scriptures? For example... And we hear this a lot. Someone says the New Testament doesn't say thou shalt not play instrumental music in worship. And since it doesn't say you can't, therefore it's okay to do so. And that sort of goes to the idea of the silence of the Scripture and what God has specified that he wants us to do. And I think that's an important consideration. An old example that I've used and lots of people use for a long time is that when we talk – it's understood that when we specify something, that that's what we want and nothing else. If I if, if I call in a phone order, uh, say to the Sears catalog, and I say, uh, you know, I, I want that uh, I want that tent on page two hundred sixty, uh, and 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 I also want you know a, a a kerosene cook stove to go with it. And so I specify two things I want out of the Sears catalog. But a couple days later, a semi truck backs up to my house and they just start offloading hundreds of boxes and you know you stop the guy and say what are you doing here and he says well these are things from the sears catalog and and i would say but i only ordered two things and the and the delivery man says yeah but you didn't say that you didn't want this other stuff therefore we're giving you all this other stuff and billing you for it too that would be crazy we would all think that was just absolutely ludicrous it's understood that when i specify what i want in that catalog order i don't have to go through the catalog and tell them i don't every other item and specify every other item say don't do that don't do that don't send me that it's understood when i tell them what i want that i don't have to specify specify everything that i don't want same thing's true with the way god instructs us clay absolutely you know we serve a god of order and i'm glad that we serve a god of order Uh, could you think about how thick our bibles would be if the lord told us everything he didn't want us to do 
Well, and things change. And things change. There were things that we're not supposed to do today that the people in the Old Testament. What's that? Yeah, right. (laughs) For first century, they would not have known that uh, we shouldn't listen to uh, bad songs on the radio. Yeah, got to watch that uh, urban rap, you know, that talks about (laughs) gang warfare. What's that? Yeah, Yeah. right. Well, and this is not just some logic that we came up with. The scriptures tell us that the silence of the scriptures are prohibitive. They're not permissive. They're prohibitive. We find it all the way back to Leviticus chapter 10, the story of Nadab and Abihu, verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them in his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord. Notice this, which the Lord commanded them not. He had not given them instructions about this fire. He had given, he told them the fire that they wanted them to use. He had not uh, given the instruction to use this fire. They died as a result. And then Jesus in Hebrews chapter 7, I think your Bible is open there already, Dad. Yeah, in Hebrews chapter 7, the Hebrew writer makes this argument. He says, for he, that is, he's talking about Christ, he of whom these things, this is Hebrews 7 verse 13, he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar I should start with verse 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is necessity made a change of the law also. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. So basically, the Hebrew writer is saying, if Jesus is our priest, obviously the law has changed because Jesus couldn't be a priest under the law of Moses. He didn't come from the tribe of Levi. You had to be of of the tribe of Levi and a descendant of Aaron to be a priest under the Old Testament system. Jesus wasn't that. He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. He was of the tribe of Judah. But notice, the Hebrew writer says, of which tribe, that is, of Judah, of that tribe, Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. He didn't say, your priest can't come from Judah. He just didn't say anything at all about Judah. When he was specifying the priestly tribe, it was Levi. He specified that tribe. He didn't say anything about Judah or any other tribe, but it was obvious that if you were not of the tribe of Levi, you couldn't be a priest. I mean, and and so the Hebrew writer is is using that form of logical reasoning. And you, you guys bring up great examples, and, and I'd also uh, have you to consider First Chronicles chapter thirteen, the, the death of Uzzah. Uh, here we have David. He, he wants to move the ark. He wants to reach Jerusalem. That is a great and wonderful thing. But if you notice. Who did he consult with to find out how to move the ark? Well, we see that in verse 1. David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. He didn't go back to the word. Actually, we don't even find him going to the word until we get over to chapter 15. After us has died and he's been totally embarrassed, then he finally goes to the word to see how to move the ark. Exactly right. And, uh, you know, people religious we, we we did this when we were children with our parents we tried to use the you didn't tell me not to excuse on them it didn't work and we want to do it religiously with god and expect that it will work that sometimes somehow on the day of judgment he'll say oh you know i forgot to tell you not to do that and yeah. i guess i guess i couldn't could can't argue with you for doing it because i didn't tell you not to it won't work yeah our, uh, our friend J- uh, jonathan in cookville says and to this person who says it doesn't say not to, therefore it ought to be okay to do it. He says, ask the person who uses that logic what they would say to their young teenage driver who says, I know you told me to go to the store, but you didn't say I couldn't go to my friend's house. It is only logical that when authority is given to do something by command, example, or inference, then everything else is automatically forbidden. Again, caution must be used to make sure we're not forbidding something that the Bible authorizes somewhere else in the Scripture. Uh, such as how some disregard baptism because it's not mentioned in every place where salvation is mentioned. Uh, I, I agree with him. But but he's saying this this is the way we reason. When you and I communicate, Clay, we, we communicate based upon a, 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 an understanding of these sort of principles. They're just common sense, logic, and reasoning that we apply every day. Why wouldn't we use the same when we go to the Word of God? But we, we should. And I would ask the person who is looking at the Bible this way, who, who's looking to, to find reason to do whatever they want, what are you hungering and thirsting for? Are you hungering and thirsting for grace and mercy and forgiveness? Because that's not what the Lord told us in the Beatitudes that we should be hungering and thirsting for. We're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, righteousness that comes because we look at the Bible and we say, Lord, what do you want from me? And we seek to do that. That's right. We're only interested in what he wants us to do. We're not interested in what we want, so we take that off the table. 
We got to deny, we got to deny ourselves. That's right. And so all we need to do is look to the scripture and say, what does he want? And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to put my own wants and, and ple- uh, preferences in there. We're just going to do what God wants. Yeah. Looks uh, like we're about out of time, Jay. We are. We had a good discussion. And Clay, we do appreciate you for taking us up on our invitation. Thanks, and, guys. And that microphone's open anytime you want to come and, and use it again. We appreciate you being here. And truthfully, Jacob, we really only got about halfway done with our discussion. So I want to suggest, and we'll probably do this, we'll, we'll leave it for a later decision, but probably we'll just continue this discussion next week and try to get uh, even further into this study of Bible authority. Because it has implications in lots of different aspects, lots of different subjects. We have lots of things to talk about in this area, and we look forward to talking about those in the future. Exactly right. Thank you for your time tonight, Dad. Thanks. And thank you for listening. We hope that you benefited from our discussion. If you have any questions about the things that we've said, maybe you disagree with how we should establish Bible authority. Maybe you disagree that it is required for all that we do religiously. We'd like to hear from you. You can give us a call anytime at 877-381-4567 or you can send us an email anytime to questions at collegeview.com, and we look forward to studying with you about uh, your questions or your comments about this program or any other program that you've heard in the past. We hope that you will make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.